Well, good morning. My name's Robert, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. I'm really glad to, to see you all this morning. We're continuing through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've, we've been looking at it for a few weeks, and we've learned that we are, are saints, that if we're a Christian, we are considered a saint or a holy one, and that that has been given to us as a gift of grace. It's not something we worked for, but actually something that God has gifted to us, and that the whole Trinity is involved in making this happen, that God the Father has adopted us before the foundation of the world, and that God the Son has redeemed us out of this enslavement to sin and ushered us into this new identity as a, a saint, and that God the Spirit has sealed us uh, being a, a, a non-refundable down payment that guarantees 100% that if you were a saint, you will remain a saint, and you would remain a saint throughout all eternity. And this is, this is mind-blowing, right? Like, this, this, this is hard to comprehend. And in fact, Paul in Ephesians 1 prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' heart would be open <laughs> so that they could comprehend these, these truths that are, yes, intellectual, but also spiritually discerned and known. Um, they're, they're bigger than just our brains. Um, and so this Ephesians chapter 1, even if it was just by itself, it would be an amazing letter. We would gain so much from it. Um, but there's more. And part of what we see in the next section is uh, the Apostle Paul helping us appreciate who we were before we were a saint and how one becomes a saint and then how one lives once they are a saint. And it's all, all three of those are in this text of verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. And this is what we're going to look at. Uh, today is who we were before, how one even becomes a saint, and then how we live, how we walk once we are a saint. And, and this is, I think it's a common sense approach to encouraging someone to apprehend and appreciate who they are now is to look back at who they were before. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, maybe you were a student under a mound of student debt. And then a benefactor paid it all off. Your appreciation of, of debt-free living would be greatly increased, having been one under the mound of debt and then freed from that debt. Or once homeless, but now given a home, the, the, the appreciation of that home would be greatly increased, having the knowledge of what it was like to not have a home, or perhaps being incarcerated and then getting a retrial and then released out of that incarceration. Your apprehension, your appreciation for that freedom to, to go about as you will would be greatly increased because you had experienced incarceration or, or once a refugee and now given the rights and privileges of a citizenship. It would appreciate that citizenship way more than the citizens that it had it since birth. Because you know what it's like not to have that citizenship and then be given that citizenship. Or one who's been addicted to drugs, who's now sober, would, 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 would apprehend and appreciate that sobriety much more than someone who's been sober the whole time, right? And so we, we see the Apostle Paul taking the Ephesians back to their previous state of being before they were saints and, and letting them know, this is, this is what you were like back then. And here's how you became a saint, and here's how you now live. 
So the first part of Ephesians 2 there, and do look on with me. Uh, it'll be a help to you to, to look at Ephesians 2. Uh, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is his description of our pre-saint state. And in a word, he's saying we were a sinner. We were a sinner. Um, at least four characteristics of, of a sinner in this passage, this first three verses here. Sinners are dead. This is how Paul describes the state of being of the sinner. Dead. Um, that is a state. Being dead is not something that you're like, I'm going to work on being less dead this year. This, this is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to be less dead. You're either dead or you're not dead, right? It, it's a state. And, and so he's using this imagery of, of, of death to, to, to let them know you were in a state, right? And it, wasn't, it didn't mean they weren't breathing. Right? We'll see in a minute. Indeed, sinners are breathing, uh, and they're doing a lot of things. Um, but he's talking spiritual death. Like physical death, a person who's dead cannot relate with, communicate with other people. And so as spiritually dead humans, we can't relate with or communicate with God. And this is what he's saying. You were in this state of spiritual death, and you couldn't relate with or communicate, have a relationship with, with God. This is your pre-saint identity. And we proved that identity by being enslaved to sin, right? He says, we were walking in sin, right? We were enslaved to it. Uh, Verse 3, living in the passions of the flesh, the flesh not being the body, but the indwelling sin, the influence of sin on our uh, persons, body and soul, as as sinners. So even if you uh, dropped baby Robert off on a deserted island and I was raised by wolves, I would still be a sinner. I would still uh, worship the coconuts I was eating on the, the island. I, I would still destroy the island and not steward it like I should. I, I would overwork or I would underwork. I would have that indwelling sin. Right? All, all mankind, he says there at the end of this uh, first three verses. And so as a As a spiritually dead person, you're living that identity out by showing that you're enslaved by sin. Just like a person with the flu manifests a fever. A person who's spiritually dead manifests living by sin. And so Paul describes this spiritual condition. But but this living by sin is not just individual, it's also communal. So he says, you are following the course of this world. Uh, In Romans 12, he says the pattern of this world, similar kind of language, course of the world, pattern of this world. The world is the system that sets itself up against God. And where did it come from? Individual sinners that live in community with each other, right? Sinners form families and cities and institutions and governments and societies and cultures. And as humans, we're built to create those kinds of things, to live in those kinds of communal institutions. Uh, But because of sin, 
it then manifests systemically in those families, governments, schools, institutions, cultures. We talk about the hookup culture, right? Those are individuals doing these things, but it creates a system of sorts, a culture of sorts. We talk about corporate greed. Well, it's individual sinners that are doing those things, but it, it creates a system, it creates a communal expression of, of the sin or systemic racism, same kind of thing. Like there's, there's individuals that are doing these things, but, but it actually is being expressed communally as well as individually. And so who were we before we were saints, this spiritually dead, enslaved to sin, expressing that individually and communally? Um, we're also cooperating with Satan in our pre-saint um, uh, identity. Um, there is a spiritual being that is at work in the world. He says, you are following the prince of the power of the air, the power of the air just being uh, the, 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 the earth, you know, where, where we are now, not in the above, but here in the here and now. And he's saying there's a prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan. And he's saying that Satan is working to animate all that individual and communal sin that's being expressed on the earth. Uh, he's like throwing gasoline on it, making, making it worse, accelerating it, advancing it, expanding it. Um, reminds me of uh, the Joker in the Batman movie, right? Uh, maybe you remember this, uh, if those of you that have seen the movie, some of you love superhero movies, some of you hate them, sorry. Um, Batman's so good, though. Um, but in this, in, in this uh, The Dark Knight, the, the Joker has rigged up these two ferries that are ferrying people across uh, the river there, and one is full of prisoners, and one is full of, of just everyday kind of citizens, and they've all been rigged up to blow up, right? And they each have this ignition switch, and they, they, can, they can blow the other ferry up, and if they don't, supposedly, both ferries are going to blow up. And so you've got this group of prisoners, and you've got this group of, of normal citizenry here that are having to make the decision whether to blow the other ferry up. And uh, Joker says this, he says, when the chips are down, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. So he's banking on the sin that's already there, that he's just accelerating, he's just expanding. Satan works much just like this. Right? He's got a lot to work with. He's got a lot to work with. And he seeks to expand that, advance that. Now, if, they, if that wasn't <laughs> bad enough news, right, that, that there's uh, sin in individual humans, that there's system, systemic expression of these, this sin, that there's a, actually a satanic thing that we're being tools of, that we're uh, being a team on, uh, there's some really, really bad news, which is number four, sinners are rightly under the wrath of God. This is how he finishes this section, right? He says, we were by nature children. Those are identity words, by nature children of wrath. And then he says, like the rest of mankind. So this is all of human beings are in this state. And he's, he's saying that they deserve wrath. Now, we don't usually use the word wrath. You see, it sounds like anger. Is that what it is? Yes, that is what it is. That is what it is. It is anger. That literally comes from the, a root word that means nostril. It's like a flaring nostril in anger. And so he's, he purposely uses this word, this word wrath, 
And it includes, yes, a cosmic judicial guilt where, where the judge is saying, you've done the crime and, and now you pay the time. Like, like you deserve this penalty. But it's not just judicial. It's personal. It's a personal affront to a holy God. I don't know if you saw this in the news. This was a few weeks back where a judge was attacked by an accused person who was standing before the judge's bench. And the the judge is trying to declare the charges and the person like leaps over (laughs) and, and attacks the judge. And as if that wasn't dramatic enough, the next week they bring the accused back in front of the same judge to hear the charges. And the, the, the lady that was the, the judge, she, she's very calm, she's very judicial, she's very professional, and, and she declares the same charges that she would have declared uh, that were written down already the week before, before the guy jumped over. And then she recuses herself from the next set of charges that are about the attack on her, right? And that's what she should do. She, she should recuse herself, right? Because it's personal. God doesn't recuse himself. There's no higher judge. (laughs) There's no other judge to appeal to. He's been sinned against. And it is, yes, judicial, but it's personal. It's personal. He is righteously angry at sin. Now, it's hard for us because usually our anger is selfish. Usually it's not very righteous. It's not very godly. (laughs) But God's anger is always righteous. It's always right. And so we may not like this kind of talk. It makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel like that's, that's bad for self-esteem or oppressive. Or, but what if it's true? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to know if it's true? If you, you'd want to know this, right? Um, you would want your oncologist to tell you whether or not you have cancer. You don't want them sending you with, with Tylenol for your headache. When there's a tumor, if there's a serious condition, you need to know because there's a serious cure for that serious condition. And so the Apostle Paul is letting us be reminded of our pre-saint state, and it's dire. It's dark. It's not just, I was struggling a little bit and Jesus helped me. Like, it is serious. And the Apostle Paul does not apologize for explaining this serious condition. And again, the primary reason he's writing this is really to remind the Christians of this, right? He says, among whom we all once once lived. So he's writing to Christians. And he's saying, remember that. Remember that pre-saint state that you found yourself in. And he does this because he's setting up Verse 4, <laughs> this is a massive buildup to verse 4 where he's going to say, but God, right? This, this, is, this is a pivot point in this, in this passage. Remember the state that you were in, that you were dead because of sin, that you were enslaved to sin, that you were living in accordance with the world and with Satan, but God, but God. Right? God the interventionist. My, my wife, Melanie, teaches middle school, and they have reading interventionists and math interventionists. And so they see a student that's spiraling in, 
reading or spiraling in, uh, in, in math, and the interventionists showed up. Like, let's, let's help this kid. Let's try to turn this around because we want to make sure that they're on the right trajectory. Right? Well, God's the spiritual interventionist. He, he saw this dire place that we were, rightly under his just wrath, and he intervened. And this is what verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 are describing, his intervention. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, how does a sinner become a saint? Short answer, God. God. That's how a sinner becomes a saint. God, the Father, who is, yes, a just judge, is also a loving, merciful Father. Uh, we talked about His adopting us in love in Ephesians 1. So here we are again. Now it's mercy, right? This withholding of rightful wrath. And He's raising us up to this new state of being, from being dead to being alive. You start to see some of the parallels of the language in the first three verses and now in these four verses. And how did He do that? Through Christ. Through Christ's death burial, resurrection, ascension. This is how He made us saints. Now, remember back in Ephesians 1, verse 19 and following, we, we, we read this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above rule and authority, and et cetera, et cetera. And then now in Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. How? With Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying Christ in His journey of death, burial, resurrection, ascension, scooped us up in our place of death and raised us up into life and into the heavenlies. Literally relocated our citizenship into heaven, even now. That's why we're saints, right? This is, this is our citizenship now. And it's been done in Christ. Now, how do you get in on that? Faith. It's by faith. Right? He summarizes this so helpful. This, this is a helpful, helpful verse in under, just understanding the basics of what is, what is it? How do you become a Christian? Like, what's this Christian thing about? Ephesians 2.8. Write this down. Memorize it. Like, this, this, is, this is so helpful. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our default 
is to think, well, I got to do some works. I got to do something. I, I, I've got to do some moral living or a mystical experience or religious ritual, and I'll work my way into a place where God will save me. Paul's saying, no, that's actually anti-gospel. If, if you are thinking that, you are sabotaging any hope of salvation. <laughs> you have to receive this as a gift. It is 100% grace. Faith itself is not a work. Faith itself is a gift. Otherwise, he would not be able to say it's not by works. <laughs> he would say, it's by grace, and then, oh, yeah, you need to do the work of, a, of the faith. No, he says, no, it's not by works. There's no works. It's by grace, and it's through faith. This is how you access this new identity that's been given to us by God in Christ. Uh, the 16th century reformers gave us this little summary of the gospel to, try to help us understand the basics. And a lot of this comes right from Ephesians 2.8. Uh, and they are known as the five solas. So sola scriptura, scripture alone, meaning this is where we have authoritative text that we go to to understand who God is, right? Doesn't mean we don't read other books or look at other things that are helpful, but Scripture is the highest textual authority that we go to, and everything else has to filter through Scripture. And what we find in that Scripture is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that is to the glory of God alone, right? And so if anyone is preaching a gospel that doesn't fit by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it's not the gospel. It's not true. This is a, it's a good way to vet gospels that you're hearing. You can vet me with this. Is he preaching the gospel? Is it grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone? Yeah, okay. Then that's a good, that's a good test for whether or not it is a true gospel. And obviously that comes from Scripture and the, especially Ephesians 2, 8. So do you, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Have you received it? If you haven't, do so today. What I'm saying is to become a Christian, we're not going to put you on probation, you know, and say, well, maybe you're a Christian, maybe not. We're going to say, no, receive it today, free gift. Receive it by faith. And this is, this is what is the gateway in to being a Christian. Right? So this is who we were, and this is how we become saints. Now, well, now that I'm a saint... How do I live? What do I do now? And you might think all this grace talk, you're like, I don't have to do anything. It's by grace alone. I mean, who cares? I'm just going to sit on the couch and do nothing. Uh, well, it, it depends on what you mean when you say do nothing. If, if you say, I no longer do anything to earn salvation, you're absolutely right. You no longer, you, you don't do anything to earn salvation. You don't do anything to keep your salvation. <laughs> It's by grace. It really is by grace through faith. But if you mean, well, now that I have been saved by grace through faith, I now want to live that grace out in my day-to-day -day living, then yes, there are things to do. There are things to do. And this is really well encapsulated here, right? Verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So he's going to encapsulating what he just said, that Christ is... That God has scooped us up in Christ, and He's given us this new, uh, this, this new identity. 
We're, we're God's workmanship, literally uh, his masterpiece. It's the Greek word poema, where we get our word poem, right? It's like God has recreated us. It's like art that's come out of something repurposed, right? We've taken like some garbage out of the landfill and created something beautiful. Like, like there, there, there's something beautiful that he has created. And it's not like there's any, like he just cut off your past. Like he took your past and he made it into something gorgeous through the grace of Christ. So you're recreated in Christ Jesus. But for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you say, well, I thought it was not my salvation, not my works. It's not. But because I have salvation, because I am saved now, I do good works. I want to do good works. I've been given this saintly identity. Now I want to live out my saintly identity. And so now we're walking. Notice the, the verbiage again. We're walking in good works. Remember we were walking in in the previous part of the passage, right? He said, walking uh, according to the passions of our flesh, walking according to the course of this world, uh, walking under the influence of the prince of the air. That was who we were. But now we've been recreated in Christ. Now we're walking in good works. Um, when I was a kid, I, I would watch this every week. It was a show that none of you, most of you in the room don't know anything about. It's called The Bionic Man. And so it's this old school show. You can Google it, watch it on YouTube. But it's this guy who had this horrible accident, lost two legs, lost an arm, lost an eye. And then they go in and they replace the legs and the arm and the eye with, you know, basically robotics, right? And now he's got like superhuman strength. And of course, he uses that superhuman strength to go get the bad guys, you know? And, and, and so it would be ridiculous if, you know, Lee Majors, who was like the bionic man, had the superhuman strength, and he's just like, I'll just go sit around the house. I'll do nothing. <laughs> in fact, I think I'll ride around in a wheelchair. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to use these bionic legs. What do you do? What do you mean? Why would you do that? Something similar going on here. We were walking in sin, walking under the influence of Satan, walking according to the course of the world, and now you got bionic legs and you're not going to walk according to good word? I mean, what are you thinking? And this is the Apostle Paul's perspective. is, is, is like, what, how could you not walk in good works now that you've been saved out of the identity of a sinner and now been given by grace this identity of a saint? And the rest of the book, in large part, really is how to live that out, how to walk it out, right? And so starting next week, we're going to be really looking into some more of the specifics. Okay, I'm ready. I, wanna, I got my legs now. I'm ready to walk. How, what do I do? And the rest of Ephesians is going to be very helpful in doing that. And this is what God's doing at Ridgetop, right? He's, he, he, he's saving people with the grace of the gospel. He's giving them new legs. And now they, they get to walk out it, good works, and not just as an individual, but as a community. And so we get to live this out together, having in our pre-saint <laughs> days not doing that, doing the opposite, and now being saved to do this new thing. So for some in the room, the, the response to the sermon is receive this salvation by, by grace through faith. Receive the free gift that's being offered this morning. And so to, to receive that is the entry point in to this new life, to your new legs.
for others of us that we've received that gift of grace, it's a, it's a reminder of who we were. It's a reminder of who we were. And we don't need to wallow in that. We, we don't need to, to walk around feeling condemnation. Absolutely not. Um, but it is helpful to remember who we were because it helps us to apprehend and appreciate what God did to make us saints. <laughs> and it just fires up the, the heart for worship of Jesus and the desire to want to walk in following uh, Jesus. And to remind ourselves, we got into this relationship by grace through faith, and now we continue to walk in this relationship by grace through faith. We, we, we do the same kind of receiving of the free gift. That's how we walk out this, this walk. Uh, we don't like get saved by grace through faith and then say, okay, from now on, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to do it my own strength. No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> don't do that. We continue to live by grace and through faith. Um, we are reminded of this grace given to us every time we come to this table. We are reminded of our serious condition because think about how serious this remedy is. That should remind us, wow, that's the kind of state I was in that required the remedy, right? Uh, we, we watched a movie a couple of days ago uh, about this, you know, UT football player back in the 60s, Freddie Steinmark, and um, great player, um, and he's having some pain in his leg, and I, I was like, oh, no, it's going to be a heartbreaker, and he goes to the hospital, and the doctor at MD Anderson takes a look at him and comes and talks to him and says, you have bone cancer, right? He's like 19-year-old. And one of the heartbreaking scenes in the movie is a doctor saying, we're going to have to amputate your leg from the hip. And this, this college-level athlete is having to, to deal with that, right? But it was because it was such a serious condition. It required a serious cure. Now, nowadays, uh, they wouldn't do that, right? They would radiate the bone marrow. They would get a donor and they would plug that marrow into that, those bones, and they would um, save the leg, right? And for us, in our spiritual state, we needed a donor, <laughs> but the donor had to give his life so that we could be made alive again, right? This is what we're remembering when we get to this table. We're remembering on the night in which Jesus was betrayed by sinners, <laughs> his own disciples, he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. <laughs> Do this in remembrance of me. He absolutely understood the seriousness of their, their condition. He knew what the cure was going to have to be, and it was going to be his own death. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is why he was doing it, forgiveness of sin. He knew, again, the condition and how serious it was and the cure that was going to be required and that it was going to create a new community, a new covenant community of saints. And so, yes, we remember the bad news as we take this bread and cup, but we also remember the good news that we've been given the identity of saints as a gift of grace and we get to live in community with other saints. Uh, as we walk this out together. Let's pray.